0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Diabetes is a chronic condition that affects how sugar is processed by the body. The condition impacts a person's overall health, and that person has to take an active role in the management of their diabetes. Some medical caregivers are pursuing something called partner intervention as a way to help improve diabetes self-management. And here to talk about that is Paula Treef. She's a distinguished service professor at Upstate in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Welcome, Dr. Treef. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the impact of diabetes, not just um, physically on the body, but the psychology of the person who's got diabetes.
1: Well, like most chronic illnesses, it obviously has a significant impact. Um, there are there's evidence that people with diabetes are more likely to be depressed, not necessarily more likely to be depressed than people with other chronic illnesses, but still compared to the general population, more likely to experience anxiety. Um, there's a fair amount of anxiety associated with diabetes, uh, especially about the onset of complications. Um, complications like heart disease and stroke and uh, sexual dysfunction, blindness, those are all very significant uh, potential results of diabetes. And so if someone doesn't have a complication, they're often really anxious about developing one. And if someone does have one, of course, then they have to uh, cope with that and manage that. Um, And diabetes, more than most diseases, is very much a disease of behavior. So the person with diabetes has to check their blood sugar regularly. Uh, If they're type 1 diabetes, they have to check you know, six to eight times or more a day. Um, they have to give themselves um, insulin potentially, or take oral medications. They have to change their diet, their activity. They, if they get complications, they have to see a lot of different specialists. So there's a lot of change that the person has to take. Has it to, sounds a like a
0: substantial. It takes a lot of adjustment. time and adjustment. Right. Um, mm. Now, what about if they have a partner in their life? Does it impact? Do you see that? Yeah. So um,
1: it it certainly does. Just again, just like really anything. I mean. It's since this is a significant disease for the person, we know that the partner is going to be affected by it. So we, we do know that partners also have this anxiety, um, worried about what the future is going to hold uh, for their loved one, of course. Um, there's a, a specific fear for people with diabetes, especially people on insulin, of hypoglycemia, which is very low blood sugar. And that can be very a significant episode where people um, lose consciousness or get confused or um, uh, potentially have seizures or strokes so um, that when that happens, that's kind of traumatic with a little T, and that's a big fear that partners have, especially, again, partners of people with type 1 diabetes, because they're using insulin. They have to use insulin. Um, and it so would fall to them, them to help
0: the person out of that episode. Right. So, in that moment, yeah.
1: they have to do something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about how you got involved um, with the idea that partners can play a role in helping manage this disease.
1: Yeah. Um, Th- that actually came out of my clinical work. So I've been seeing patients with diabetes for many, many years. And um, it's just very clear when you talk to patients that how this affects their partner has an effect on them, but also what their partner does has an effect on them. And that, again, kind of makes sense. You know, your partner is your most significant relationship. It's an intimate relationship. It's ideally a long-lasting relationship. So, of course, what happens with one person is going to affect the other. So that just became clear in my clinical work, and I started exploring it then from a research perspective.
0: So, can you tell us about the um, randomized controlled trial that you conducted recently?
1: Yeah, so we did a, a project called the a Diabetes Support Project. Um, this is, I've been working for many years with my collaborator and colleague, Dr. Ruth Weinstock, who is the medical director of the Jocelyn Diabetes Center. And um, what we did was we developed a partner intervention. Um, for behavior change, with the idea being that to help the partner help the patient make the changes that he or she needs to make. And we compared that to a very comparable individual intervention, and then we compared it to just diabetes education. We know that diabetes education itself um, has a significant positive effect on behaviors and on blood sugar control, which is the usually the main outcome that everybody looks at. Um, what was really unique about this, besides the intervention, I think, was that there happened to few other partner intervention trials and a few uh, family interventions. But what they do is they create an intervention and then they compare it to just usual care, which means nothing new for the person. Um, And that doesn't really tell you, even if you find a difference, that doesn't really tell you that bringing in the partner made a difference. That just tells you that doing something is better than doing what we normally do. So comparing this couple's intervention to an individual one to education was really the unique part. Um, our main outcome was blood sugar control, uh, which is measured as hemoglobin A1C. It's called A1C, which is a measure of blood sugar control over the last two to three months. And what we found was actually that all three groups, the education, the individual, and the couple's arms, um, had decreases in A1Cs, which again proves to us that um, education works. Uh, but we, uh, when we looked at it um, by, this is confusing a little, but by what they're original A1C was, we found that the people who had very high A1C, very high is bad, High is higher is worse. Okay. So the people who had very high, like greater than 9%, for, for diabetes, for type 2 diabetes, you're trying to get 7% or lower. So the people who had greater than 9%, which is really quite high, all three groups improved, and they improved significantly. For the people with kind of lowish high, which was 7.5 to uh, 8.2%, none of the groups improved. And for the people in the middle, which is 8.2 to 9.2, which is the uh, the group that we mostly see, only the coupled intervention had an effect. Oh. Um, so that was... We thought that was encouraging (laughs) in terms of, yeah, it really did matter, bringing in the partner and getting them um, involved. And the other thing was that people are always often worried about bringing in partners because they're worried that um, partners will become what's commonly called the diabetes police, which is that they'll be kind of hovering and nagging and, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. And so there's a hesitancy often to bring in partners. But we also found that that was not the case, that um, it certainly in some individual groups; it was their individuals; it was partners. But that overall, that was not the case. And in fact, the patients' their their feelings about the relationship improved when the couple when the partner was involved. Um, and interestingly, the partner's feelings about the relationship also improved. And also their their worry about diabetes also
0: improved. So it had a positive effect on the partners that were involved, too. If I understand correctly, the couples intervention included, obviously, both partners, but it focused on relationship building, problem-solving techniques, and mutual support, which all kind of sounds similar to marriage or couples counseling. Yeah. Is that what it was? It
1: wasn't couples counseling, meaning that the, the people who were doing the intervention were diabetes educators, and they weren't couples therapist or anything like that and they weren't specifically focusing on what the problems might be in that relationship um the way it did what you just said was that we brought the partner in and in all of the um, we had little exercises that they did and things they had to read and all of those we d- always turned to the partner and said so what about what do you think about this how do you think you can help and to the patient we said how do you think your partner can help so it was very much focused around diabetes not but also right. about um uh, working together and collaborating together. Um, and the other the other part was that we had a couple, we did this all by telephone, and we had a couple of calls where it was specifically about the relationship. And we did this one technique that's quite powerful but very simple. It's called the speaker-listener technique. And it basically means that you the, the couple decide, we're going to talk about this issue, there, where there's a conflict, and one person just says what he or she thinks and feels about it, and the other person just says paraphrases what they've heard. I think what you're saying is, I guess what I'm hearing is, which is kind of what therapists do, um, until that first person feels heard. So normally when we have a discussion about conflict, you know, if, if my partner says to me, well, I'm upset about this, my immediate reaction is, well, I don't think you should be upset about that. Let me tell you what my feeling is about it. And you kind of defend ourselves. And with the speaker-listener technique, you slow that all down. And the partner who's listening just has to listen and then they take turns and that way the uh, everybody feels heard feels and heard. it was really quite powerful I listened to we tape these and I listened to a lot of the tapes you know to make sure people were doing what they were supposed to be doing and um, it was surprisingly powerful I would say
0: this is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Paula Treef. Um, she's a distinguished service professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Upstate, and we're talking about improving diabetes self-management. So, what sorts of advice would you have for partners who may be listening to this podcast in terms of how can a loved one be supportive without as you say turning into the diabetes police? What can they yeah, do? Yeah, so
1: this, so this is a very fine line that partners walk. And I don't have a great answer for it, other than that, the, you know, it's like what you say in couples counseling, it's communication, communication, communication. You have to be talking to each other and saying, what do you need from me? How can I help you? And the patient has to do that for the partner too, because we talked earlier about that this has an effect on the partner. And the patient has to kind of recognize that too, that this is, it's not all about them and their illness, that this has an effect on their partner. So there has to be um, good discussion where they share their feelings, their fears, um, and what they need from each other. Um, The other thing is there are a lot of ways to provide support. So sometimes support is, you know, uh, going to the doctors with the person, with the patient. Going to the doctor appointments. Yeah, going to a doctor appointment. Or in some cases it's helping, uh, reminding the person to take their medication because they want that reminder, not because you think they need that reminder. Um, It might be exercising together. Uh, It might be just sitting and talking about, you know, how are you feeling emotionally? So there's a lot of ways that we give support, and it's kind of up to the couple to, to say, this is helpful to me, and this is not. So, you know, one person might really want their spouse to go to the doctor's appointment. Another person would say, absolutely not. You know, this is my appointment, meeting with my doctor. And there's no right way to give support. So they have to spend a little time really talking about what they need from each other. And then the last piece is that the partner has to accept, and this is that fine line, that that the patient, that this is their disease and um, that they have autonomy. There's research that supports this, that patients who feel that um, partners who support their autonomy, who say, look, I know this is your disease, this is not mine, you make the decisions, um, do better. Now, that's hard because if you're the partner and you're worried about you're not taking your medication and what's going to happen to you that's very hard to say well this is your disease so they have to that's a very fine line and they have to find their way as a couple
0: are there things um sort of like not that people should not do i'm thinking about if there's certain foods that the person with diabetes should avoid should you, I mean, it's not good to eat that particular food in front of them? or
1: So diabetes isn't really a disease anymore where um, people say you can't have that and you can't have this. It's really about balancing... It's ba- really about balancing carbohydrates more than okay. anything. So, you, they, so people with diabetes can have carbohydrates, but they can only have a certain amount or at certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the type one differs from type two here. Uh, it's really eating healthy. It's eating vegetables and fruits. So, certainly, if uh, if some way, if your partner has diabetes and you're bringing in big. Goopy donuts, you know, donuts and, and you're saying, hey, you want some? You now that's not very supportive. So so paying attention to um, what will make it harder for the patient to stick with the, their regimen, I think, is really um, important. And certainly, you know, we've seen there's also research that says that if one person makes a change, the other person might make a change, and, and that can help them. So we have partners where, you know, they say, look, I'm going to eat what you eat, and, and we're going to walk together, and I'm going to lose weight, too, um, very often people with diabetes have partners who have diabetes or also might be overweight and overweight is a uh, being overweight is a risk factor for diabetes so um, sure making positive changes themselves and modeling those changes would help
0: and certainly if you don't have diabetes it's you can still follow this uh, diet that's it's a healthy, healthy diet exercise, it's honestly so. it's a healthy diet it's a healthy diet and being active it's Just, like, good for everybody. If a couple uh, where there's diabetes in the relationship, would couples counseling in general maybe help them get through this time where they have the... Um,
1: It may, yeah. I mean, I think that there's, you know, if you hit an impasse, a couples counselor essentially is there. To help Generally to help you communicate, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you hit an impasse and you feel that this is causing more tension and, and you're getting further apart rather than closer together, this is the, the plus side. There's a plus side. We've had many couples who said, you know, now that we're working together and I'm helping her and she's helping me, I feel much closer to her and I feel much more appreciative of the relationship. So it's not only um, negative. Uh, but if you hit an impasse and it's damaging the relationship, you absolutely would benefit from couples counseling. Even, uh, you know, Michelle Obama talks about... Uh, Going to right, couples counseling right. in her new book. So, uh,
0: well, how would you advise a partner who's watching their loved one with diabetes not take care of themselves? They're eating wrong, they're skipping medications. I mean, it's got to be hard to stand by and watch. Right. And without intruding or nagging right, or whatever, right. how do you? It's very hard.
1: Um, I, I think that calls for a really serious conversation about um, the effect of this on the partner. You know, when I see you, when I know that you're not taking your medication, that makes me really nervous. It makes me anxious. Um, I love you. I want a future together, and you know, you know, and I know that if you don't do the best you can to take care of your diabetes, we'll have a less happy future and maybe a shorter future. Um, so, it's kind of speaking from the heart, I think is the is when you get that kind of. Um, reaction. I did have a couple once where um, this wasn't a diabetes couple. It was a heart disease people. He'd had a heart attack, but they, she was very hovering and he was very resistant to the hovering. He was very frustrated. And she told me that the turning point came for her when it was a very hot day and she saw him cleaning their pool and he was sweating and she was getting really anxious and worried, thinking he should relax, he should sit down, he should drink something. And she was going to say something, but she held back just for a little bit, because they'd had this conversation where he said, I don't want you, you know, hovering. And then she saw him stop and sit down and drink something. And she said it was like the first time she felt like he can do this and I can back off. You know, she got a little trust in his being wanting to work towards change. You know, everybody wants to be healthier. Nobody is not motivated to be healthier. So they have to really think about what the barriers are. You know, in the individual case.
0: Well, good advice. Thank you so much. My guest has been Professor and Psychologist uh, Dr. Paula Treef. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show Health Link on air.